Jeremiah speaks at the temple. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. Oh, Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans and widows. Only if you stop your murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshipping idols. Then I will let you stand, stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe. I need to go right back to all those evils again. In Matthew 7, 1 to 6, on page 738, do not judge others. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Right, good morning. morning. Just one short notice before I um, try and sermonise. That is that we are starting a little group here for... um, I suppose you would have to say older men, we're going to call it those who were once young. Um, (laughs) So if you fit that group, um, the first activity planned is a little cycle uh, um, journey down the side of Lake Benmore on the 19th of this month. Um, There's a few guys interested. So um, if there's any who enjoy a bit of cycling, it won't be anything terribly arduous, around about 30-odd K and lots of coffee, um, lots of food. So um, if you're interested, please just come and see me, mention it. I was thinking um, about what to actually to 
what to talk about, and I decided that I would follow on with the messages that Alistair has been giving based around the Sermon on the Mount. Um, as I started thinking about it, uh, um, I remembered when I was about 10 years old, we used to live on a hill and it used to over, overlook a bay up in, up in Christchurch. And I remember one day standing on a knoll looking over this bay and thinking I could be Billy Graham preaching to all these thousands of people in this bay. And it was quite impressive. And uh, yeah, that was when I was 10. Well, um, it's taken 63 years before God has acknowledged that dream and put me here today speaking to this audience, but also to those um, who are listening via podcast or by YouTube later. Um, really, we have a global audience, and all that I have to do is to, to get out of bed on time, which is sometimes difficult. Put my clothes on, rush down to St Andrews, and start talking. And I can be speaking to a global population. Wow, never imagined that. Have you ever been astounded by the number of figures of speech in the Bible, the number of uh, the similes, the metaphors? There are, there, are, there are literally hundreds of them. Um, we find them in the Song of Solomon, King, King Solomon, uh, the Book of Proverbs, again, King Solomon, um, Psalms, in Isaiah, and in the New Testament, of course, in Revelation, but also in the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. And it's almost like it was... Well, always God is a, um, has an intention, he has intent, and he knew that the, these times uh, that people were going to speak in figures of speech, and so those figures of speech have, of, of course, been, uh, been translated into the Word of God. And the thing about figures of speech, um, there are various meanings and various applications, not just one specific thing. And I think God was intentional when he did that. So why did Jesus, and for, um, for that matter, men such as Isaiah, King Solomon, so often speak in figures of, of speech? Examples, like a root out of dry ground, Isaiah. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter in Isaiah. Jesus talks about planks and specks in the reading. Um, in relation to our actions and our thoughts. Like lambs amongst wolves, you are the salt of the earth, the eye is the lamp of the body, and many others in the teaching of Jesus. We, of course, through each generation, tend to put our own uh, meanings or to emphasise certain aspects of these figures of speech. For example, salt. Salt heals, it brings out flavour, it stings on eyes or on wounds, salt cures and it preserves, salt helps our body maintain its fluid balance 
and stay hydrated. So each of these meanings could be um, thought of um, as we uh, look at the figures of speech where the imagery of salt is used. So um, each one is applicable to, uh, to a certain generation or to a certain group. There are often multiple interpretations from one figure of speech, which is why sometimes when I'm sitting here in church after the sermon, I think, hey, well, let's say I have learned something new, yet it's an old passage, it's an old parable uh, that I've heard numerous times, and yet it still speaks something fresh and something new. Jesus spoke to the language of his culture and we speak in the language of our culture. And as long as our interpretations line up with the wholeness and the totality of the word of God, I don't see a problem. And it's not radical to think that Jesus had this broad timeline in mind so that Paul could say with confidence that all scripture is given by inspiration of God for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and can be furnished into, unto all good works. So in our reading, we um, looked at what Jesus said on the mount. And the, the two figures of speech that I want to just us to have a few thoughts about are the one about pearls being cast before swine and the other one being do not give dogs what is sacred. In Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven, which includes us, it is us, we are the kingdom of heaven. Uh, when God is in control of our lives, is compared to a pearl of great price. Wisdom is spoken of as a pearl. The pearly gates in Revelation speak of the uh, perfection. When you have found the worth of having God ruling over you and for you, you have found a pearl. Pearls and swine are not a good combination neither for the pearls nor the pigs. Swine do not value pearls. Why cast your pearls upon them? Back in the Old Testament times, a woman in Israel often wore nose rings. I can't see any woman wearing nose rings here. Um, nose rings made out of gold. In the book of Proverbs, we read, A beautiful woman who lacks good sense is like a gold ring in a pearl's snout. And if you put that a, another way, a beautiful woman with good sense is like the gold ring she is wearing. So one complements the other. Perhaps this verse gives us a clue as to pearls cast before swine. Good sense is recognised as being of value. Wisdom is a pearl to value just like a gold ring. Adorn a pig with it and it becomes valueless. Even Miss Piggy from the Muppets 
never wore a gold ring on her snout. This passage in Matthew is about judgment. If indeed the usual understanding of the metaphor is used, it reads like this. If you turn to Google and look up the meaning of the, uh, the metaphor. We should not pass on our greatest pearl, the story of salvation, to those who will not value it. We should kick the dust off our, off our feet and move on from those who reject the gospel of salvation to the fields that are ready for harvest. Don't waste time or invite harassment from those who are obviously hostile. I suppose to me uh, this meeting doesn't sit well. Um, it uh, doesn't seem to fit well with the good shepherd searching for the lost sheep. The one sheep that had escaped, was he still went searching for, or for Paul's preaching in the temp temple to the same people day after day, basically giving the same message, the gospel of salvation. I really can't see how we will be judged by a righteous God for spreading good news when the Great Commission is to spread good news to all, everyone. In my understanding, this passage is not about discerning the swine, but discerning the pearls. What do we needlessly hold on to? And what do we cast off? About discerning the swine, not about discerning the swine, but discerning the pearls. If you remember that, you've, re re you've remembered one of the important elements of this little talk. A fair while ago now, I was walking up the Kathmandu Valley over in Nepal on a three-day walk to um, go to a medical dental camp up in a little village. So we were walking from the Paflu Airport, which was built by Sir Edmund Hillary, you may remember, to a little village called Karikola, up near the Kumbu Icefall. And on the way we were passing through these little villages and um, in one village we were invited to go into the Hindu temple. Um, three professing Three professing Christians in the group, myself, a obstetrician-gynaecologist from Palmerston North, young lady, and one lady from New Plymouth. Uh, I caught the eye of the young lady from Palmerston North and we both sort of knew we were saying to each other, should we, shan't we? And we decided that it was okay to go in and observe. But the interesting thing is that of the three Christians who went in, only two came out. The other was left dancing in worship to a foreign god and to demons, along with the clash of cymbals, drums, the blowing of conch shells and flutes, along with the chanting. Is this casting our pearls before swine? Is this giving to dogs? Is this giving to dogs something that is sacred? Is it giving pearls to swine? Is this what Jeremiah was railing against when he wrote this uh, about 
the, the people of Israel worshipping idols, worshipping Baal. Do not play with fire or you get burnt. My upbringing within the Brethren Assemblies, never called churches, either chapels or assemblies. Um, and uh, one of the things which was often uh, preached was that women always wore hats as a response to the directive of Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians. We were always taught to wear our Sunday best. This isn't my Sunday best. Um, because we were coming to visit the king. Valid, maybe. These days, I do purposefully attempt to dress down, not to dress up. Wearing hats and best dressed and immediately, immediately separated the haves from the have-nots. Lower class, middle class, upper class. Would Jesus want that? Did he demonstrate that? Did Jesus want a fashion show? Of course not. And in fact, Paul gives a very clear example when discussing the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians when he speaks about meeting for the sharing of the Lord's Supper. That some are bringing their own food, eating lavishly and not sharing it. As a, a result, those who did not have the means remained hungry, while others got drunk, eating and drinking in excess. You know, the early, the early church weren't just righteous people going to prayer meetings every day. They were real people, <laughs> drinking in excess, eating and getting fat, having a good time. Um, you know, it, it wasn't all righteousness. They were a, uh, a rather varied group. Um, it is quite likely that Paul, having been, been a Pharisee, came from a community who held firmly to the oral tradition of women wearing hats in temple worship. If he had been a Sadducee, he would have thought differently. They only be believed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and they were very literal in their understanding, and it, everything was based around Mosaic law. Wearing hats isn't in Mosaic law. Uh, so it was a cultural thing rather than a word from the Lord. These are the things we will be judged on. Which pearls do we value? Fake plastic, glass or real oyster grown pearls? And is this pertinent to St Andrews? How do we value the homeless, the older people, the undereducated, the overeducated, the voiceless? Do any of our practices identify us rather than Christ in us? That's the second point to take home with you. Do any of our practices identify us rather than Christ in us? The things that we do or don't do. Having just had Christmas, we will be aware that Samuel Marsden preached the first sermon in Northland in 1814. Most historians have classified Marsden as a preacher of the civilised gospel. He was a product of his time, although a devout believer in Jesus Christ and was in fact sponsored by William Wilberforce, the great anti-slave social reformer, Christian social reformer. He also clung to the values 
that resided at the core of his Englishness. These assumptions directed his actions. Even though a Christian, he was not acultural. He carried his culture with him. And so Marsden believed that before Māori could truly understand the gospel, they first had to be taught the civilised art of living like Europeans. They had to learn the English language. <coughs> Men had to wear trousers and the ladies wore calf-length dresses and broad-rimmed hats, as you will have noticed in church photos of the time. And so as a result, the initial response of Māori to the gospel in the first decade was in fact muted. Um, so we're told by the, the missiologists who study these things. It was only in the late 1830s, the 1840s, thanks to William Colenso, who bought the first, brought the first printing press over and actually wrote the first Māori Bible in Te Reo, that, that, um, that Māori's turned to Christ in droves. Are we still guilty of these false pearls? Or do we have a Māori Bible out in the Cox Street for you? Well, I think we have Japanese, and uh, we certainly have English. Do, do we set conditions, conscious or unconsciously, as to, as to the Gospel, as to the spread of the Gospel? Why, why is it that only 3% of Māoris now would, uh, would say that they are Christian, compared to in the early 1900s, 50%. The gangs have a higher representation of Māori than the churches. What do the gangs offer Māori that the church doesn't or can't? Perhaps we should look closely at what uh, churches who we mightn't, we might think well of or mightn't think well of, such as Destiny Church and others. They offer something that seems to appeal to um, a different sociological base than us. At the time Peter received his vision from the Lord of the net falling from heaven with the unclean and the clean animals in it, the gospel was being preached to Samaritans and to Gentiles. The vision was interpreted by uh, Peter as meaning all people can receive Christ and evidenced by the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all can be baptised with water. Gentiles and swine were looked on as unclean, but Peter's message was to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, to the unclean. Pearls of value, membership of the kingdom of heaven was ours. And so Peter's worldview was radically altered. His ethnocentric customs, beliefs, were up for grabs, one culture interfacing with another, Jews interfacing with Gentiles. Do not lose what is of true value, or allow your pearls' values to be diluted. Hold tight. What are your seminal values compared to the cultural values? Do the cultural values enhance or detract from purpose? Pearls, false pearls, plastic or glass, how valuable are they? Dogs, we are told, descended from wolves. Dogs exhibited aggressive, predatory behaviour in the Bible both Old and New Testament. They were not valued as man's best friend. They were not carried around in handbags. Every mention of them in the Bible has negative connotations. The admonition to not give dogs what is sacred perhaps is similar to a metaphor uh, which uses wolves as, as the image. 
those who come to steal and destroy. The, the Greek word kuon indicates wild dog, unclean like pigs. Wild dogs prey on other animals, protect what is of value, hold firm that which is valuable. Value your salvation, the helmet of salvation. Value righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Value the spirit, the sword of the spirit. Value faith, the shield of faith. And value the truth, the belt of truth. Go with shoes of peace.